You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. been washed clean by his mercy and by his blood, say amen. If you haven't, there's no reason for you to keep waiting. There's no reason for you to keep putting it off. The lies that Satan is telling you is that uh, you got plenty of time. You can wait. It's no big deal. Just keep going to church. Keep going through the motions. Uh, Keep singing the songs. Uh, Keep doing your own thing, and there'll be plenty of time later on to... uh, be washed clean. That's a lie that Satan's been telling, well, for ages. And unfortunately, many people still believe it. The fact is, is that you you don't have any guarantees of tomorrow. You don't have any guarantee you're going to be eating dinner this afternoon. Um, The world in which we live is a fallen, broken world. And as such, uh, death and destruction is part of our reality. So you are playing with your eternity when you believe the lie that Satan tells you that you got plenty of time. You're, you're playing with your eternity. Eternity is a very, very long time. Turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. While you're finding your place, just a few announcements. Um, you'll notice there's a red and white bus parked out in front of the children's entrance there. They want your blood. And they'll be more than willing to take it from you uh, if you're willing to give it. Uh, it doesn't matter if you didn't have an appointment, you can, you can do a walk-up out there. I would encourage you to do that. Um, the Blood Connection uh, is, a, is a new group. We've had them here one time before. This is their second time here. Uh, the blood that you donate through that organization is actually used right here in the county. So if that's something you want to help with, by all means, uh, go ahead and walk up over there and they'll take care of you. Uh, second thing I want you to know is there's shoeboxes, Christmas shoeboxes. Yes, Operation Christmas Child is upon us. And back on uh, back at the back back there at the connect sign, you'll see some shoe boxes that are kind of flat and taken apart. You've got some over here on the table. We'll have more and more as the weeks uh, ahead of us. But if you want to hit, go ahead and get those uh, and take them with you and go ahead and start planning to fill those up and bring them back on November the 18th, we would really appreciate that. And then the final announcement is, well, an exciting one. Uh, our last Sunday in this gym will be November the 1st. That ought to generate something there. It really ought to. We've been in here three years, folks. We've been here for three years. Okay, so November 1st, we'll be in here. That last Sunday, we'll be in here, November the 1st. November the 8th will be our first Sunday over there. Our grand opening celebration service will be on November the 15th. Yes, and as part of that, as part of that, on the evening of November 15th, we'll have our services... By the way, there's going to be a schedule that comes out. There's some special things we're going to be doing that weekend. Uh, you will be fully informed on uh, what we're doing on that grand opening weekend. But in, in addition to that, uh, 6.30, eve- 6.30 p.m. that evening on November the 15th, we're going to be doing a baptismal service. So how awesome will it be to have our first day, our first grand opening day back in the center over there on November the 15th? that evening doing baptisms. We've got several we need to do. If you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and you haven't followed that up with water baptism, then what better day to do it than the first baptisms back in our new building over there? So please let me know uh, if that's something you're interested in or maybe if you haven't made your 
made your faith in Jesus yet and you want to do that and then follow that with baptism, please let me, let me talk with you about that. So just remember those dates. November 8th will be our first Sunday back over there. November 15th will be our grand opening Sunday that we celebrate on that day. And there's going to be some other things connected with that weekend, the weekend of the 15th, that we'll be making you aware of in the coming weeks. Acts chapter 21. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been misunderstood? Yeah, uh, I think we all have. I think I've experienced my share of it as, as, a, uh, as a pastor and as someone who spends his whole week talking, <laughs> which is kind of what I do. I do a lot of talking. Uh, oftentimes when I get home uh, each day, I don't say a lot when I get home. And my wife's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I'm just, I don't have anything else to say. I've just, I'm talked out. And as I do a lot of talking and a lot of counseling and a lot of discipling and a lot of sharing the gospel, there are times that I, I just, I'm misunderstood. I, sometimes I'm blown away because I'll, I'll, I'll preach a sermon that I think is, it was clear. I, th I thought it was pretty clear. And I'll get an email on Monday or Tuesday or a phone call and a person will be, hey, I, you said this and it just didn't make any sense. And I'm like, Really? I said that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, being misunderstood is part of, uh, well, part of living in this broken, fallen world. Jesus was constantly misunderstood. Even the disciples who spent the most time with him, more time than anyone else did, they often misunderstood what Jesus was talking about. Especially when he came to his crucifixion and his, his intent to go to Jerusalem, the disciples could not understand why Jesus would want to go to the very place that was the hotbed of hatred for him. Why was it that he, he was consistent in saying that he had to go to Jerusalem? The disciples couldn't understand that. They couldn't understand why Jesus kept talking about going and dying and leaving everything behind. And the more Jesus talked about it, the more they misunderstood him. What's always amazed me about the disciples was is that how they didn't get it. Well, the fact is, if I'd been walking with Jesus, I probably wouldn't have gotten it either. I wouldn't have understood either. Paul, I think we've seen plenty of opportunities all through the book of Acts here where Paul's been misunderstood over and over again. Paul being sent by Christ to tell the world about the good news, a lot of people who heard it didn't hear it as good news. As a matter of fact, they heard it as a threat. They heard it as Paul's trying to uh, destroy Judaism. He's, he's trying to get rid of the, the Jewish traditions, the customs. And, and, and though Paul was never doing that, and, and there's nowhere in Scripture that says he was doing that, what Paul was saying is that salvation is not by the law. Salvation is not being a good little boy or a good little girl. Salvation is not following Moses. Salvation is following Jesus and surrendering your life in complete totality to him. That was Paul's message consistently, yet... He was constantly misunderstood. Michelangelo, one of the, the greatest artists um, of our time and in our world, and some of the things that he did was just incredible. And he's, he's known for a lot of things. One of the things that maybe he's not as known for is, is a statue that he did of Moses. It's said to be one of the most lifelike statues that Michelangelo ever created. And this particular, this particular statue, it's located in a small basilica near the Roman Colosseum. And uh, a lot of people go there just to see this one particular statue. What you'll notice about it is the, 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 the life likeness of the statue, Moses' face, his long flowing beard, long flowing hair. And he's, he's sitting on a kind of like a, not really a throne, but kind of a kind of an ornate chair and he's kind of got his head turned to the side and it's a I mean when you look at it it just draws you in but the one of the things you're going to notice when you look at it 
is that on top of Moses' head are two horns. Yes, two horns. It makes no sense whatsoever. And they're very pronounced, and they're a little bit kind of off-center of his head. One is in the kind of the center of his head. <clears throat> the other one's kind of jutting off to the left a little bit. And, of course, everyone who sees it wants to know why in the world did Michelangelo create the statue of Moses with horns on its head? Well, it's because of a misunderstanding. You see, Michelangelo based his, uh, his artwork or his rendering of Moses off of St. Jerome's Latin Vulgate. That was a Latin translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And in that particular uh, translation, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 20, it's talking about Moses coming down off the mountain after he's been with God and received the law. And we understand that when Moses came down, it's, the Bible says that his face shone. His face was illuminated. He, he had this radiating light that was coming from his face simply by being in the presence of God. Well, that particular Hebrew word, when it was translated over into the Latin, it could have meant not only radiated light, but you guessed it, horns, that Moses had horns when he came down off the mountain. So guess which translation Michelangelo went with? Horns. He, he went with a literal understanding of this particular Latin word that was translated from a Hebrew word, and he simply misunderstood the text. He misunderstood that, that, that Moses didn't come off the mountain with horns on his head. He came off the mountain with his, light, his face glowing from being in the presence of God. You see, misunderstandings can lead to a lot of problems but they can also lead to pain. You know, some misunderstandings, uh, we laugh them off. As a matter of fact, a lot of sitcoms, a lot of TV shows, and probably some of your favorite episodes of, of Andy Griffith or some of the other shows that you really like, probably some of the most favorite episodes was because there was some misunderstanding in the particular sitcom, and it was very funny. It was, it was hilarious, and you remember that, but not all misunderstandings turned out to be funny. Paul is committed to Jerusalem. To going there. He's had a prophet tell him that when he goes there, he's going to be bound. All of his friends have said to Paul, Paul, you can't go to Jerusalem. If you go down there, they're going to bind you, they're going to kill you, or at the very, at very least, they're going to throw you in jail. And Paul said consistently, I must go to Jerusalem. I, this is what I have to do. The Holy Spirit's leading me there. I can't do anything other than go to Jerusalem. So Paul, understanding all that awaits him there, makes the trip. He ends up in Caesarea first, and then he travels down south into Jerusalem. And everywhere Paul has traveled, everywhere Paul has gone, with the exception of maybe a few places that, that Paul has been run out in, and predominantly the reason Paul has been run out is because of what the Jews understand is his teaching. They understand that he's undermining the Mosaic law. They understand that Paul is teaching something different than what Moses taught. And therefore, this man not only should be punished, but this man should die. And the majority of places that Paul has been, this has been the misunderstanding. Now, Paul has been very clear, consistently clear. He's, he's been clear, very clear that his message is connected to the resurrected Jesus Christ, whom they put on a cross whom the Old Testament testified about, that this man, Jesus, the Messiah, would come, he would suffer, he would die, he, he would teach everywhere that he went, every synagogue that he went into, that Jesus Christ is, in fact, that long-awaited Messiah that everyone's been waiting for. So there's nothing, as far as what Paul is saying, that should be misunderstood. But yet, it has over and over and over again. The Jewish response, wherever he's been, some have believed, not many, but a few, 
but most hated and sought to destroy him. Last week we saw where following Jesus causes a lot of people to misunderstand what you're doing, right? I mean, it looks reckless. It looks like, it looks like you've, you've given up on everything else and your, your faith in Jesus is now what directs and commands your life. And when your friends who don't know Jesus, when they look at that and they, they hear what you're saying, they see the change in your life, they see your commitment to Christ, they think you're nuts. They think you're crazy. And of course, they explain it in ways, oh, he or she's found religion, just give it time. From the outside world, following Jesus looks haphazard, reckless, foolish. Paul has faced three missionary journeys, traveled 8,000 miles, planted 20 churches, shared the gospel everywhere he's went. And even with all of that resume, with all that Paul has been able to accomplish, he's still being misunderstood and he's still being hated for it. So when Paul gets back to Jerusalem, as we're going to see today, there's a very strange occurrence that happens here that, quite frankly, is a difficult text. It's difficult to understand what's happening here and why Paul is doing what he's doing. But I hope maybe to shine a little bit of light on this today and show how misunderstandings really lead to being mistreated. And what do we need to do in response? Let's look at chapter 21, verse 17. When he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after greeting them, he related to them one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brothers, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. So Paul makes his way down to Jerusalem, and James, who's the leader of the Jerusalem church and the elders, which tells us there is now a structure with inside this Jerusalem church, a, a structure of elders, a structure where there is a team of folks leading this church in Jerusalem. And Paul begins to share with these leaders about all that God has done through Asia Minor all the way over into Athens and even Corinth. No doubt Paul's talked about the churches that he's planted. No doubt he's talked about all the many people who've come to faith. No doubt he's talking about how some of those churches have now multiplied and started other churches and how that the church is growing like fire all through Asia Minor, all the way into Rome. And when, Pete, when James and these leaders hear it, they glorify God. That is awesome. That is amazing, Paul, that God is working among the Gentiles. Well, let, let us tell you about what's happening here in Jerusalem. Because remember, Paul's been kind of separated from Jerusalem for a while now. So they begin to share with Paul the fact that God is moving in Jerusalem, that there have been thousands of Jewish people recognize Jesus as Messiah and surrender their life to him. So when you read this, it's like, wow, this is awesome. Wow, this is great. Both God is working both in Jerusalem and abroad, and the gospel is going forth. So should we not celebrate that? Should we not, should we not just celebrate that and shout that from the rooftops that God is working among the Jews and the Gentiles? Notice what happens. It says, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Notice this line. They are all zealous for the law. Now, what does that statement mean? Well, it means that these Jewish people who have come to faith in Christ and have surrendered their life to Christ, what they have done is they've continued to observe the Jewish traditions. They, they've continued to, to uphold the law. They've continued to... Well, to live a Jewish life, but now as Christians who follow the Messiah, Jesus. 
Now, there's not, nothing necessarily wrong with that statement in, other than the fact that if they are putting the law ahead of the gospel, in other words, if they begin to teach that you must keep the law in order to be right with God, then, of course, they have, they have taken the gospel in a direction it was never meant to go. But we've got to read a little further to see what's happening here. It says, and they're all zealous for the law, verse 21, and they have been told about you. You teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. Well, now we have a problem. And what's interesting to me is how quickly James and the elders bring this problem forward. What, what that tells me is, is that James and these elders were very concerned about Paul coming into Jerusalem, just like all of Paul's friends were concerned about Paul going to Jerusalem. And I believe that James and the elders were preparing for this day and trying to figure out what should they do because they were very deeply, deeply worried about the rumors that are being passed around about Paul. Notice what those rumors are. To forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to the customs. So the problem is, is there's a rumor being passed around Jerusalem about Paul that Paul, when he's out in Asia Minor, when he's all the way over in Athens and over in Rome, that, that he's teaching the Jewish people, those, those who are Jews and those who've come to faith in Jesus, that they are to not keep the law, that they are to not circumcise their children. And you know that circumcision was a big part of Judaism. The problem is, is that Paul never did any of that. The message that Paul was preaching concerning circumcision is, is that circumcision... Cutting your flesh, keeping the law, can never make you right with God. It is only through Messiah, it is only through Jesus, who proved his teachings by resurrecting from the dead and proved, in fact, that he is Messiah. He's the only way that you can come to salvation. But there's nowhere in Scripture, nowhere that Paul, even to the church at Galatia, where they begin to add the law back in the gospel, nowhere did Paul say that for a Jewish person who's come to faith in Christ, if they want to circumcise their body, then go right ahead, no problem. But it cannot be a pathway to salvation. That's a huge problem. So these rumors are being passed around. Paul, if you remember, Paul had Timothy circumcised. Even though Timothy was a son after, after Paul, Paul was training him and equipping him. Paul saw an opportunity for Timothy to have a stronger voice among the Jews. So he asked Timothy to be circumcised. But get this, Titus, another son of the faith, Paul never asked him to be circumcised, mainly because of the people he was serving. So the point is, as Paul was teaching that circumcision cannot bring salvation, but after salvation, after you put your faith in Jesus, after you have surrendered your life to him, circumcision, not a circumcision, it, no, no big deal. But that's not the rumor that's being passed around Jerusalem. You see, in Jerusalem, the rumor was is that Paul was undermining the law of Moses. Look at verse 22. James asked a rhetorical question. What then shall be done? We got to do something. What should we be? What should we do? Now, I want you to get this. Here's Paul who's been out traveling mile after mile after mile proclaiming the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, the last thing he's thinking is, is that he's going to have to be involved in a public relations campaign because that's exactly what's getting ready to happen here. These Jewish, these Christian Jewish leaders are saying, we got to do something because this is going to get ugly if we don't show that Paul is committed to the law. 
What shall be done? Later on, it says that, that there's another rumor passing around that, that Paul had actually brought a Gentile into the temple with him. Again, a rumor, a misunderstanding. Now, what you would imagine at this point is that Paul would say, okay, here's what I think we ought to do. We ought to just have a public gathering and I'll stand before people and I'll preach the gospel and I'll tell the folks where I stand on the law on this particular issue. I'll, let's get the truth out. Let's deal with the rumors. Let's deal with the misunderstanding. Let's deal with it directly. I would imagine, I would, I would imagine that Paul, Paul would say that here, but he doesn't. That's what blows my mind about this text. It says here, they will certainly hear that you've come. Verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you and yourself live in observance of the law. So here's the plan. The plan is, is we've got four men here who have taken the Nazarite vow. And they've already, they've already taken that vow, and they're already going through the process. Paul is not being asked to take the Nazarite vow. What he's asking, being asked to do is that he would support these men publicly and support them financially. Here's, here's what happens with a Nazarite vow. Seven days, these four men who's taken this vow, they would, they would commit to worship inside the temple for, four, for seven days straight. As part of this worship exercise, they would shave their heads. At the end of that seven days, they would take their hair that they'd shaved, take it to the priest, and the priest would offer it as a worship offering back to God. Now, obviously, these men who are going to be in the temple for seven days can't support themselves financially because they're not working. So, so to pay, to pay, to give their offerings to the, to the temple, to give the sacrifices that were involved required money. So what they're asking Paul to do is, Paul, take your money, support these four men in their Nazarite vow. And what that will do is it will say to everyone in Jerusalem that Paul is an observance of the law. It's a PR campaign. And what blows my mind is, is why Paul doesn't go, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, I... I don't need to do this. All we need to do is deal with the rumor. All we need to do is, is tell people where I stand because Paul's been consistent with that everywhere he's went. He's, he's been very consistent in what he's taught. But for, for whatever reason, Paul, and we're going to get to it in just a minute, why did Paul accept this request? I mean, in the best way to deal with a misunderstanding is to go right at people. In the best way to deal with a misunderstanding is to, is to retaliate. If you've been misunderstood, what's your first response? If, if it has gotten ugly, if people are, you know, throwing rumors around about you, in your first response is to charge into that and fight? Why is it Paul doing that? I mean, Paul's not had any problems to confront people in the past. Why not here? So Paul goes along with this. Look at verse 25. I'm sorry, back up a little bit. Let's get back into flow. Verse 24, take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus will all know that there is nothing in what they have seen or what they've been told about you, but that you yourself live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. The James and the Jewish council here, these, these elders, Look at Paul saying, now, Paul, we understand what we said back in Acts 15. And that is that the Gentiles absolutely who are coming to faith in Christ. They don't have to put their, 
They don't have to follow the law. And they, they designated a few things in that council decision to say these are some things that would be profitable for them to stay away from. But ultimately, they must put their faith in Jesus and not keeping the law is what brings them into the kingdom of God. Faith in Jesus, not keeping the law. They've already stated that, and here they're saying again to Paul. Now, Paul, make sure you understand, we're not adding law, we're not adding law back to the gospel. But yet, Paul, we're going to ask you to do this as a public statement of where you stand. Verse 26, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification will be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So Paul takes out of his own money and gives to support these four men to satisfy the leaders of the Jerusalem church. Well, how did that turn out? How did it go? Did, it, did this work? Did this, did this all work out the way they, they thought it would? Look at verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, notice that, the Jews from Asia. Now, who are these people? These are the same people they were chasing Paul out of every town across Asia Minor. Those same Jews that would follow him from town to town that we've already seen and run him out of town, guess what? They just happened to be in Jerusalem. They just happened to be at the temple. And guess who they see at the temple? They see Paul. They see Paul there supporting these four men who've taken a Nazarite vow. And guess what happened? They are stirred up. And then they stir up the whole crowd, and they laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple, which he did not do, and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen him with Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in a city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They just, They simply just... Filled in the blanks. Well, if, if Paul is here with a, with a Greek, then he must have brought him into the temple. So here's what's happening. The misunderstanding has now turned into gossip, and the gossip has now turned into hatred, and the hatred has now turned into, let's beat him to death. All the city was stirred up. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So let's just take a little review here. How well did the plan work? It didn't work at all. This was a complete disaster. Now, we know on the one hand that, that Paul knows that when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. We, we know that the Holy Spirit had already revealed to him that, that the way things are going to work out in Jerusalem is for God's sovereignty and God's plan for Paul's life. Paul's life is still going to have ahead of him speaking in front of kings, in front of leaders, and he's going to get to share the gospel in front of leaders he would have never had access to if this hadn't went down. But nonetheless, make sure you understand that this appeasement that they had attempted to do, it failed. Satan uses methods to deceive, divide, and tear down. These Jerusalem church leaders and for what we've got in the text here, I don't want to go too far, but let's, let's, let's imagine for a moment that their whole goal in all of this was to keep the peace. Their whole goal in all of this was to try, to try to get the crowd to acquiesce to Paul and accept him and get Paul to do some things to, to show them that, that he is still keeping the law, and it absolutely failed. And I believe that, that Satan is behind the scenes working here that the idea of trying to acquiesce to what the culture 
demands never, ever works. This church, in trying to acquiesce, trying to, trying to bring some kind of peace out of some kind of deception, and this was, this was almost deceptive in that, that Paul would have never taken this upon himself if he had not been encouraged to do so. So the question is, why did Paul do this? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me show you what Paul says to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, this, this text has been used in a various ways, but I think Paul's response to the Jerusalem leadership, that church, I think is a good example of what Paul is teaching to the church at Corinth here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and look at verse 12. Paul says this, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. If you look above, Paul talks in depth about whether someone should be paid for the gospel, whether someone should be compensated for their work in the church. And Paul says, we didn't make use of that right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Jump down to verse 19. For though I am free from all, as a Christ follower, we have freedom in following Jesus. One of those freedoms is not being bound by the law. Jesus fulfilled the law completely and totally on our behalf. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you understand or you're beginning to understand that the righteous requirement to be right with God is perfection, right? And maybe, maybe you haven't heard that before. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing about it. Understand this, that the, the be right with God, to be, to be reconciled to God requires perfection on your part. And I can guarantee you that there is nobody walking this earth today there is no sons and daughters of Adam and Eve that are walking in perfection. So how in the world are we going to be restored to, to God, be reconciled, made right with Him, if, if the standard is perfection and there's no way we can reach that level of perfection? Well, that's what Jesus came to do. You see, Jesus fulfilled every aspect of the law perfectly. His death on the cross was a death in your place. He took all the wrath, all the shame, all the sin upon himself. Having fulfilled the law perfectly, he dies in your place. And then he turns around and he looks at you and he says, put your faith in me because you can't reach perfection, but I did it for you. Paul says here that in that I have freedom. He says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. You hear what Paul's saying? That's exactly what he's doing in the Jerusalem church. Paul looked at it and said, look, what's most important here is the gospel. What's most important here is the unity of the Jerusalem church. And if, and if I can do something, if I can do something to help promote the gospel, if I can do something to help this church be unified, then I will give up my own rights to being right or retaliating or whatever I've got to do. I will give up that right to make sure the gospel is proclaimed and the church is unified. He says, to one under the law became as one under the law. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Go back to Acts. That's an incredible set of statements that Paul makes. You see what Paul says, and the way he's lived his life, 
is that his own physical well-being, his own rights, he's willing to lay down for the sake of the gospel and the mission of the church. As a matter of fact, what's getting ready to happen, and we'll see it next week, Paul's going to be arrested, chaos is going to ensue, and, and as a result, Paul is going to have the opportunity to stand in front of the same group of people who are yelling and, and asking for him to be killed in the street, be the same ones who are beating him. Paul's going to have the opportunity to turn right around and speak to them about his own testimony about how Jesus changed his life. So could it be that, that we might have to give up a right a freedom that we have in Christ? Could it be that we may be asked to give something up for the cause of the gospel? For the unity of the church as a whole? We don't live in a culture right now where giving up rights is high on the priority list. I mean, I don't know if you've listened to the news, but everybody's claiming rights to something. And no one is willing to surrender a right for the cause of someone else. No one is willing to give anything up, to budge an inch, to budge a millimeter. Paul could have made a scene. I kind of wish he did. <laughs> it would have been a whole lot easier to preach this text. But I will tell you something. What Paul does here speaks loudly of his character. I would say as loudly as any of the places anywhere else he's had to make a stand for the gospel and had to face pain and, 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 and beatings and turn right around and go back into those cities, the same arguments that he made in Athens where he's standing at the Oropagus and he preaches that powerful message, that all says something about his character. But I'm going to tell you something right here in the silence of this moment where Paul gives up a right for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the Jerusalem church speaks loudly because I think... I think what speaks loudly about our integrity and our honesty is not when we demand our rights, but when we give them up for the cause of someone else. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Jesus modeled for us? The, the greatest moment in Jesus' life with the disciples, I think, I mean, there's a lot of great moments, but one of the, I'd say, the top three is in that upper room in John 13. The disciples are all talking about this kingdom that they're all going to be part of. And Jesus gets up from the table, <clears throat> walks over to one side of the room where there was a basin. He takes off his outer garment, girds himself with a cloth, and silence falls upon the room because they all know that Jesus is taking the place of a doulos, a slave. The teacher, the rabbi? The, 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 the greatest teacher that we've ever heard in our life, and he's going to go over and he's going to gird himself with a, with a cloth to wash our nasty feet? No wonder there was no slave when we got here. No wonder when we walked into the room there was no slave here. Jesus intentionally made sure there was no slave in the room because Jesus wanted to teach a great lesson on that day, on that night. And that is to be part of the kingdom of God. There's going to be times you're going to be having to give up a right. That in that room on that day, Jesus spoke as loudly as he's ever spoken to every one of the disciples in the room. And here's what he said. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about people and serving them with love and kindness and compassion and in serving people and washing feet in whatever form that takes. Guess what that requires you to do? Give up some of your own rights for the sake of the person you're serving. You see, serving 
Serving in the ministry, serving in the church, it's not about us getting our name up at lights. It's not about getting a pat on the back. It's not about getting applauded. It's not about being on a stage. It's about are you willing to serve and give up some rights for the sake of that person knowing what the gospel is all about? I think Paul models that beautifully here. He didn't retaliate. He didn't blow a fuse. I, I would have to imagine that Paul is a little bit perturbed by this. I, I don't know for certain, but here Paul has been traveling city to city, chased out of every town over and over again. And when he gets into Jerusalem and still is celebrating all that Christ has done, he's got some Jerusalem church leaders who go, you know, Paul, we really need to do a PR campaign here. I can't imagine that he was over thrilled with that. But yet, he submits to it. Misunderstanding often leads to mistreatment. Paul is attacked. The rumors and all that's been passed around him, although they're not true, Paul is being unjustly attacked here. What you're going to see next week, instead of Paul trying to save his character, trying to, trying to retaliate against those who are speaking lies against him, you know what he does? He proclaims the gospel. In all these moments that Paul had a perfect opportunity to just lay the hammer down on these folks, he talks about Jesus, his testimony, and that day on the Damascus Road that changed everything. Now, you've got to be willing to give up some things. I know that, I know that many of you have been misunderstood. And I'm not talking about the funny kind of misunderstanding. I'm talking about the hurtful kind of misunderstanding. And I know that for some of you that is still kind of hanging over your life, your family, your coworkers. It's still hanging there. And maybe you've done everything you can to make this thing right. Maybe you've done everything you can to, to, to correct the misunderstanding, and yet the gossip still continues. The talking still continues. I've been there, done that. Let me give you a few steps here that I see in Paul's life, just some practical steps that, that maybe you can live out in your life. The first thing I want you to remember is, and I, I, think Paul, I think Paul fully understood this, is that remember that God understands when no one else does. Folks, I cannot tell you how many times that um, I've been attacked for for saying the truth and speaking the truth. And no amount of talking I could do would fix it because I'm a fixer by heart. I, I, I love to try to fix things. And I've, I've come to the conclusion in ministry, there's, there's a whole lot of things I can't fix. So what do I do? What do you do? Well, run to the God who understands you when nobody else does. Run to the God who understands what it means to be, to be hated Run to the one who knows what it's like to be misunderstood, your king, your savior, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Run to him. He, not only does he know what it's like, but he knows you. He knows, he knows exactly where you are. He knows where your heart is. He knows what your motivations are. And if your motivations are pure and what you're trying to do, and you're right with him and he's right with you and he understands that, then what else can you really do? If you're motivated with purity of heart and love and doing the right thing, 
I think you've probably lived enough years to know that you can do the right thing for the right reasons and still be hated for it. You can do the right thing with the right motivation, with the right heart, prayed up, doing exactly what God has called you to do, and yet be, be maligned for it, be mistreated for it. So what do we do? Well, we run to the one who that experienced exactly the same thing on a level that we possibly couldn't even begin to imagine, that he was, he was forsaken by those that were closest to him. He was left completely to die on a cross by himself, and yet he did it freely. You see, it would just make sense to me that we run to him before we run to anyone else. I'll tell you what will be the result of that. There will be a peace. There will be a peace that in, in the midst of whatever storm you're in of misunderstanding and rumor and accusation, you'll have a peace knowing that you're walking with Jesus through the middle of it. If I've got peace from him, I can face what I need to face. Secondly, Represent the gospel when you're being mistreated. You see, here's the thing. Paul, what's going to flow out of this is an opportunity for Paul to speak. All of this pain, all of this suffering, all of the stuff that he had to go through here, his surrender of his rights is going to lead to a platform, and that platform is going to be a place where he can talk about that Damascus Road experience where, he, where everything changed. Guess what's getting ready to happen with you? All of the stuff that you're dealing with, all of the, the mistreatment because of the miscommunication, the misunderstanding, guess where that's leading you? It's leading you to a platform. I'm not talking about this kind of a platform. Maybe it is. But it's leading you to an opportunity to let the light of the gospel shine through you because guess when people are watching your life the most? When the rumors are flying, you've been misunderstood, miscommunicated about, and hated for what you believe and what you've done and done it right. Guess when the world really pays attention? Look, the world wants to know that the gospel means something in your life. And guess when it means something? When it's painful to follow Jesus. Represent the gospel. Look for the platform. It may be with one other person. It may be with your whole work group that you work with. But somewhere along the line, in all of the pain and all the stuff that you're going through, God is getting ready to provide you with a platform to let his light shine. Third. Reject gossip because we understand the pain that it inflicts. Listen, if, you, if you've been on the receiving end of gossip and miscommunication, if you've been on the, the painful receiving end of that, you would certainly be the person that doesn't participate in it, right? If you've come through a starting point, I've, I've had, gosh, I don't know how many, we had a several hundred people come through starting point now since we started that several years ago. And I've said the same thing every time to every group that's come through Starting Point. If you came through it, you're, this will be a reminder for you. I, told, I said in that, in that meeting that God is not okay with gossip and Hyde Park is not okay with gossip. I can't control it. We've got all kinds of social media platforms now, but we do not. We do not embrace it. We do not want it because we know what happens. It can destroy a fellowship. So if you've, if you've been on the receiving end of gossip and you know how that feels, don't be the one who's participating in it. Be the one who steps forward and says, look, I'm not listening to that mess because the person that you're talking about is not here in this meeting with us. So, no, I'm shutting that down. Have a good day. God bless you. If enough people do that, if enough people would refrain from going on Facebook and throwing somebody else under the bus, if they would just remember what it felt like to be thrown under that bus, I think there'd be a lot less people doing it. 
And the people who love Jesus and follow him ought to be the ones who are doing it the least, not the most. Fourth, and finally, surrender your right to retaliate. Well, that's hard, isn't it? Because when you've been hurt and you've been hurt deeply, you want to just lash out. Got to get even, settle the score. How are we doing that these days? Well, from behind a keyboard, from behind a phone. We will trash another person's character. We will throw them under the bus, and we'll justify doing it because we believe they deserve it because of what they've done to us. But when we look at Jesus' life and we look at Paul's life, we see something totally different. Giving up that right for the cause of the gospel. There are times that Paul defends himself. There's, there's times where Paul has to defend himself. We see it in his epistles that Paul has to talk about uh, things that, that are being tossed around about him. But the reason Paul does it in every one of those circumstances is to make sure that the integrity of the gospel is protected and the unity of the church is protected. But we're not living in a day and age in which surrendering our rights comes very easy because we, me included, we want what we want and we want it now. The retaliation, just as much as people are watching you bear up under the, the weight of being mistreated, they're also watching you. When you retaliate with hatred, you t retaliate with revenge to get back. The world notices that too. The world notices when you've got a whole bunch of Bible verses in your feed, and then all of a sudden, somewhere down in that feed on Facebook, you're just blasting someone because of something they said about you. You're doing it publicly. I wonder if in that moment all those Bible verses that you quoted up above are just forgotten about, and the only thing that's remembered about you is the tone of your voice, the retaliation in your words, and the hatred that is coming across Facebook. I would dare say, I would dare say that the lost world is looking for more reasons not to put their faith in Jesus. And I, sometimes I think our retaliation and our hatred and our sharp words online give them what they're looking for. Father in heaven, it's out of your good kindness and your good grace that we're even here today. Um, it's not because we're good people. It's because we're broken people. We've been made whole by the blood of your son. And Father, when we look at Jesus, we find one who laid down all rights. Lord, you were the king of kings. You were here at creation. You've, there's never been a time that you didn't exist. And yet, you went all the way to the cross. You allowed evil people to condemn you, put you on trial, and make all kinds of accusations towards you. And the reason you did it is because you had us in view. And your love for us, your love that people all over the world would be able to hear the gospel, you were willing to lay it all down. You were willing to give up the right to retaliate. You gave up the right to call down legions of angels, all because of love. And Father, that's exactly the marching orders we've been given as your people to love in such a way 
that someone else has put before ourselves. Followed by your people, called by your name, set apart by the gospel, we would be willing to do that even today. And for those who don't know you, for those who haven't crossed over, for those who are still giving excuses, Father, everything has been accomplished. All that is left is for the gift to be received. May that be today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Hyde Park Baptist Church, please check out our website, hydepark.church, or on social media on Facebook and Instagram, at Hyde Park Baptist.